Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Thank you for joining me today. And I know you're excited to listen to the episode. Let's take a big inhale and hold for three, two, one, and exhale through the mouth. Ah, three, two, one. Just do it one more time. Take a big inhale and hold for three, two, one, and big exhale. Ah, two, one. Yeah, welcome for joining me. Welcome for getting grounded. Today we're going to talk about three things. One is self-compassion. We're going to talk about happiness, and we're also going to talk about regret. I want to start off talking about meditation. Meditation. And I read somewhere about why we should meditate. You know, because I also, as much as I meditate, I need to be reminded why. I need to be encouraged to stay on a journey, to keep up with the daily routine. Sometimes I dread it. It feels like drudgery. It feels useless. It's hard to measure, right? It's hard to measure, see it. So I don't know if it's even effective sometimes. And somebody explained to me that emotions can sometimes sneak up on us. I want to say that again. Emotions can sometimes sneak up on us. And so when we make meditation a part of our daily practice, right, and and intermittently throughout the day, not just in the morning, and then, you know, it's not like set it and forget it and you can just go. It's so valuable to find, to microdose on your meditation, right? And what I mean is, you know, in previous episodes I've talked about how it's not enough to just work out in the morning for an hour. Our body really would prefer that we move throughout the day. So we have these micro doses of movement, but we also need micro doses of uh, meditation, right? Where throughout the day, we take a minute, 60 seconds, I, I, we do this kind of naturally anyway. It's called the the bathroom break, right? Where I've I've definitely had jobs where I, you know I couldn't get a break. My break wasn't for like another hour, but I needed a break right now, and so I, I would just go to the bathroom, and I would take a little. I would sit on the toilet, and I'd pull my pants down, even if I didn't have to use the toilet, just to make it look like I was using the toilet. In case somebody dared to look under the bathroom stall. And I would just like collapse. I would literally collapse. And, you know, either collapse where like my head or my arms and my arms were on my knees, or I'd like, you know, lay over to the side. Or it's, it's not comfortable to lay back, I swear. If bathrooms, if toilets had like a backing where you could lay back comfortably, 
I may never have left the, the stall, right? Um, so we naturally find ways to take these breaks. And, and actually, that's when we think about what a cigarette break is. I got to go take a, a, a cigarette break, right? It's really our body saying, we need a break. It's a bit stressful. We need some time to detach, unwind, zoom out, get some fresh air, go outside, all these little things. And so meditation can become this tool where it's not about you sitting down for 20 minutes or an hour. It's about, you know what, I'm just going to take a minute before I go into this meeting and ground myself and just focus on the breathing and just sit there with the intention of just trying to settle down. And then maybe even after the meeting, okay, before I go into my next meeting, let me take a moment and sit down for a minute and just kind of recollect myself. I put out so much energy into this meeting, into this phone call, into this talk, into this dinner or this lunch or what have you that I need a minute to recollect myself and and put my pieces back together again. Because as we said in the beginning, emotions can sneak up on us. So if we don't do those periodic check-ins throughout the day, throughout the day, throughout the day, then the emotions can sneak up and build up. And then when it hits us, when the stress or the frustration or the anger uh, now that's where we get the road rage. The, the road rage was, is something that's been building up for a while. The, 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 the emotions just sneaking up of, of the, the upset and the things that are bothering him and the grievances and the thorns and the anguish, you know, all those things just, and then he looks up and he's surrounded all of a sudden. And because what, because what happens when we sit down with ourselves? That's actually a way for us to confront ourselves, to look at what's going on in our body. How is our breathing? Do we have any emotions trying to sneak up on us? Am I am I upset about something? Did that really bother me? I thought it was cool. Oh, that damn, that did bother me a little bit, right? So we know that. Anybody who's trying to, anybody or anything that's trying to sneak up on you, they, how do they do it? From the back, when you have your back turned to them. And then you turn around, and all of a sudden, they disappear. So when we sit down and we connect to ourselves, it's a way of shooing off those emotions that are trying to sneak up on us. So it's a way of breaking up their momentum. Now, that doesn't, <coughs> excuse me. It doesn't mean that they stop. It doesn't mean that we'll never be blindsided or ambushed or attacked or be surrounded. That's not what that means. What it means is it buys us time. It buys us time. It creates space. And then what happens, say we find ourselves surrounded by all these different emotions or ambushed, maybe now because of the time that we've had, the space that we've created, the the tools that we've crafted and the support systems that we have built around ourselves, 
right? Now we can address it and handle it and, and fight it off versus being overwhelmed or consumed or, you know, losing our minds. Oh, I don't know what happened. That wasn't me. I can't believe I said or did that. I'm so sorry. Being a harm to some, a threat to somebody else or being even a threat to ourselves, right? That feeling of being a burden or, um, you know, not of inadequacy or whatever the emotions are. When we sit with ourselves, it's a way for us to look at whatever's trying to sneak up on us. And look, I see you. I see you. And I'm not afraid of you. I'm going to sit right here. I'm going to. I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to face you. I'm going to see what you're about. And through breathing and connecting to our body, it, it dissipates. How beautiful is that? We don't need weapons or, uh, 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 you know, any, we don't need to fight or, or, or gather the troops. We just have to sit and breathe and connect to our bodies. So for those of you struggling with meditation, don't think about it as meditation. Think about it, you know, every now and again, let me see who's sneaking up on me. Who, who is that around the corner? What emotion is trying to get the better of Leo Flowers? Because we've all had it. We've all had those experiences where we just exploded and it was like, Ugh, I didn't know I really felt like that. A little bit. Sit with yourself. Break it up throughout the day, before you go home from work, after you get home, before you go to bed at night, after, you know, when you wake up, like all these little, instead of scrolling through your phone, which is only ratcheting up the emotions, ratcheting up the intensity and the anxiety and the worry and the depression, take those moments and because that's, because really, the reaching for your phone unintentionally, I'm talking about unintentionally, when you just find yourself mindlessly reaching for it and scrolling, that's a signal to you that you need a second. You need that. Think about the amount of time you spend mindlessly scrolling. You need a moment. So that's all I'm going to say on meditation for now. Um, speaking of meditation, uh, I listened to this app, Insight. I listen to this app. I have this app, Insight Timer, and, and it helps to keep me, um, you know, on track with my meditation. And and I and I love it because they have guided meditations and they have classes and talks and stuff like that. And this is not an advertisement for them, but they're doing this thirty day challenge right now. So I was like, yeah, let me check that out. I want to I want to mix it up. I need to mix up my wellness practice, and uh, and and I need a little help. I'm, I need a little encouragement going into, uh, um, you know, this, this 2023 year. And so today's topic was self-compassion. And I thought, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a beautiful take. And, and there were three things I want to give to you in terms of self-compassion because, and I think it's valuable because a lot, I'm so good at beating myself up. I'm, I'm so good at tearing myself down and chastising myself and, and, and punishing myself for, uh, you know, my past deeds and, oh, why did you say that? Why did you do that? How could you? You should be better. 
and your you know uh, your life is ruined and you know just and then calling myself all types of names et cetera et cetera that uh you know self compassion i recognize is not <laughs> it is not my default mode it is not and and this is valuable also because a lot of times we think that we have to do something uh, uh better in order to take care of ourselves like first we we got to first we just got to get this done and, and take care of that it's always all these external things and then we can take care of ourselves i don't have time to take care of me right now this no 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 let's take a moment we're not talking about taking the day we're not talking about putting 8 hours into you know grounding yourself we're talking about a few, whether it's on your bus ride or you know right before you go into work or a few minutes before you eat lunch um take that take this moment for self-compassion and so what that looks like is in those moments where you're beating yourself up self-flagellation uh, just abusing yourself verbally over over uh something that you have done or said or or maybe you're upset with somebody and you're kind of blaming yourself for whatever happened is the first the first thing you want to do is recognize that it's painful no matter what the source of the pain is whether it's internal or external whether it's emotional or physical or even financial whatever the source of the pain is it is causing some pain in your body it's causing some amount of suffering acknowledge that first and foremost the i am in pain just just say that out loud when was the last time we were just like i am in pain i am suffering here so just acknowledge that acknowledge and then acknowledge, you know and and acknowledge where in your body you're feeling that is it in your chest? Does the chest feel heavy? Is it in your head? Do you, are you having headaches? And uh, is it throbbing? Is it your hands? Like, where is the pain? And then just just notice that, right? So first is acknowledging that whatever you're going through, whatever you've been through, whether it was from five years or twenty years ago or fifty years ago right whether you lost somebody today or lost somebody when you were 3 right now it is painful whether it was rejection from a loved one or from a job or from a college it's painful right so acknowledge the pain acknowledge your suffering it there, there's no hierarchy of pain we've always talked about that so in self-compassion acknowledge that it's painful second part of practicing self-compassion is also uh, recognizing that whatever you're experiencing whatever you're going through whatever you're feeling is part of the human experience it's very easy for leo flowers to think that leo flowers is the only one going through what leo flowers just went through it's very easy for me to think that Leo Flowers is the only one who can feel hurt, bothered, upset, uh, suicidal, depressed, 
sad or angry. Or on the flip side, joyous, manic, excited, exuberant, uh, astonished, um, like like I've just discovered something, right? Like that the ego part maybe gets carried away. So it's very easy for Leo Flowers to think that Leo Flowers is the only one who's seen, heard, and experienced what just happened. And when I remind myself that whatever I've been through has already been through for millions of years, thousands of generations of people have seen, heard, and experienced the same thing or something similar to it. This is the, this is the power of movies, books, music, because they are reminders that it is part of the human experience. I mean, there's a reason why an artist like a Taylor Swift or a Toby Keith or even a Drake, like these different artists can sell out arenas. You know, they're, they're singing out, they're singing her hearts out. Even Adele, right? She's singing her heart out. She's talking about love. And when you look out in that audience, people are crying. They're, they are in tears. And, and they're singing along. Why? Because she, what she feels, millions and billions of other people have also felt. That's why they're paying this is how much we want to feel connection. People aren't paying to, to, to just hear her sing. They're paying to spend time with somebody who they feel feels them, understands them, has experienced what they have gone through and are going through. That's what we're paying for. We're paying like, when I go see this person in concert, I know that I'm going to be in a, a stadium or a room with other people who feel the same thing. When, when I go see a Marvel comic movie at midnight, like the, the opening night when it's a midnight showing, and you go, you know that the people in that, in that um, movie theater are just as enthusiastic and fanatical about the characters and the story as you are. So now you get to show up in your Marvel comic uh, garb or your your whatever superhero you want to dress as. You know that they're gonna they're gonna understand your language. They're gonna get the backstory. Like like there's gonna be a level of connection that you you that you can have there that you can't have at your nine to five job where everybody is wearing you know, khakis, and a polo shirt. So we're paying. We, will, we as a people will pay top dollar for connection, to, to hear people who can speak to what feels like just our experience, but really is the human experience. So know that. And, and there's a reason why we have hundreds of thousands of, of downloads and we're, we're approaching a million here because you're not the only one who who is going through what you're going through. It's part of the human experience and that and that does not diminish it. 
It is not to diminish it. it. It's a way to empower us and remind us that, you know what? If I'm not the only one, that means that I can actually say something about this. And people aren't going to think that I'm crazy. Because that's what we're afraid of, is that whole, like, what? You're going through what? You must be crazy. And it's like, well, I can't be crazy because it's part of the human experience. And, and, and so that might mean that you haven't gone through this. Or it could mean that you have and you're in denial about it. And you're afraid of what it means if you also admit that you've experienced this. So I'm going to go find somebody who has been through it and who's willing to admit it or somebody who hasn't been through it but is at least willing to listen and hold space for me, okay? So, you know, reminding ourselves that what we're going through is part of the human experience, it really can lead to self-compassion instead of self-abuse or self-flagellation, right, or self-sabotage. And the last part of self-compassion I want to I want to get into is physical touch. You know, when we when a trauma arises for us, when we really feel triggered, upset, um, just kind of undone, feeling warmth and touch and kindness really can help put us back together again. And physical touch. And so sometimes, you know, we might be single or we might not be in a space where, you know, physical touch is just not from someone else is available to us, right? But if it is, like I'll have Michelle place her hands on my chest. I'm laying down and my legs are up on the couch and she'll press down on my chest. And for somehow, some reason, that really helps to soothe me. Um, and also massage can do that. A hot bath, getting in the world, uh, the hot tub, um, infrared sauna, like once again, that warmth, right? Drinking tea, sitting by a fireplace. Um, any Anything that's warm, whether it's uh, temperature warm or physical touch, but physical touch, really powerful. And if you don't have someone around you that can, you know, hug you, hold you, cuddle with you, uh, stroke you, rub you, um, then we can place our hands on our chest or on our solar plexus. Or I like to do one hand on my chest and then one hand on my stomach. I find that to be very soothing. Sometimes I'll just rub my arms or uh, my beard, like my face. But but find a way to connect with yourself, to touch yourself. And, and, and I know that this idea of touching yourself, it really has, I went to a Catholic church and it has a, a negative connotation but it really is self-soothing. It's a healthy way to self-soothe and show self-compassion. So, I, you know, I really hope that was helpful. And a little bonus in terms of self-compassion is it's not about feeling good. It's about uh, the warmth and the kindness 
right? About finding warmth, finding kindness. That I mean, that's just it's so valuable for us because you know we all we all want that. So you know that's my take there on self compassion, and uh, let's switch gears a little bit now and let's talk about regret. And and this really links into the self compassion because a lot of times when we are beating ourselves up. We are, it's, you know, sometimes it's because we regret something we've said or did. And Adam Grant, um, this is my guy. He has a, a new book called The Power of Regret. I believe it's Adam Grant. Uh, I hope I'm not butchering his name. Uh, I, I mean, uh, Power Oh, yeah. Oh, Daniel Pink. Oops. Daniel Pink, Power of Regret. Now, I have not read that book yet, but um, I, I just, you know, read some things about it and what people were saying. And, and, and what I love is, uh, for me, this word regret has always had a, a negative connotation around it. Like, you know, I have no, because you hear people say, I have no regrets. I don't regret anything. And I was like, how is that possible? You have no regrets? Like, that's, that's crazy or psychopath. It just can't possibly be. I have, I have a million things I regret. Maybe not a million, but I have a few things I regret. And what I love about Daniel H. Pink's view on this is that he says when we regret something, it gives us a chance to review, replay, and reflect. And the and and so the analogy I want to give, and I know not everybody plays football, but I did. I played football. But if you played any sport, if you think about any sport, right, where there's a play during a sport where you regret it. You're like, I shouldn't have thrown that pass, I shouldn't have kicked that or shot that, or there's just a moment in play where you regret your action. And you can beat yourself up. Once again, we're getting that self flagellation. Or we could use that as an opportunity to review, replay, and reflect. And so what does that look like? If you if there's some action that you took today that you really regretted, then the first thing you want to do is review it. Review what happened. Review what, what led up to that decision and the decision and the action itself. And then review what happened after, right? What were all the things that contributed to it? Were there people involved? Was were you under a deadline? Did you not have enough resources? Uh, were you the maybe somebody else should have taken that action? Uh, would it have been beneficial to to take the action later? Like just review the nuts and bolts of it. Don't don't try to think or analyze it. Just see what happened. Just go back over it, and you'll see this in sports, where as soon as uh, the football player comes off the field, he'll look at video of the the play that he regrets right so all he's doing is reviewing it he's going back and so that takes me into number two is just replaying it so you know you're kind of replaying it over and over in your head and then the beautiful part about replaying it is actually it's two parts replaying the action as it actually happened and then replay the action as you would have wanted it to happen so, and this is important because it teaches you that you have options. A lot of times we take an action and we, and we think, 
well, you know, that's all I could do. I, I did my best. And then, but if we replay it, if we review it and then replay it, we go, oh, actually, this is, uh, you know, this is a way that I, I, I could have um, taken action. I could, I could have, you know, did this instead of that. I could have did A instead of B or C instead of D. And then you, you start to learn that you you have options, you have uh, alternatives. Now that doesn't mean that you um, would get a better outcome. That's not what we're 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 trying to learn here. It's not about changing the outcome. It's just recognizing that we had options and that there were other things that we could do differently for next time so that we're always in this state of experimentation instead of a fixed state of like everything has to be perfect. We're just always in a state of learning and fluidity and experimentation. So when we replay it, replay it as is, and then replay it as how you'd want it to be. And then even then, that's a chance where you can talk to other um, you know, people and say, hey, here's what happened. And here's what I would have liked to happen. And then, you know, that's, that's a place to also get feedback of like, what do you think about that? Right? And that way you're having a more empowered conversation with people. Because I think a lot of times we don't like to ask for help because we're afraid we're a burden and, and we're complaining all the time. But it's not that people um, don't want to hear what you're going through. Is that we don't want to just hear the victim side. We want to hear some type of accountability, ownership, or understanding, or insight. Like bring us bring us something to work with, versus uh, just dumping the the full cognitive load on the other person. Now, of course, there are going to be times where it, you just need to do that, um, but don't let that be the norm or the habit or else, you know, they, they, they will uh, stop picking up the phone. Um, and then reflect. Now the reflection I, I really love because when we reflect on, on the action, that means, you know, we, we're looking back, but this usually happens a day or two later, right? You, you get to reflect a little later and, and you get to reflect with, um, you know, having taken in other people's feedback. You, you talk to your therapist, maybe. Um, you talk to a coach. You talk to uh, a few friends of yours or coworkers or maybe even talk to that person. So when we reflect on it, now this is also where we think about what we're going to do in the future, Right. It's like, you know, reflecting on what happened, you know, a week ago, I realized this is how I want to, you know, change the game plan, change the strategy and move forward. So, you know, I want all that to say that when we have regrets, it's really a wonderful time to recognize that we regret what happened because it's not in line with our values or we recognize on a subconscious level that we could do better. It's, it, wasn't, it wasn't our best. We don't have to accept that. And, and there's some changes that could be made. It, because the flip side is, is that we take an action 
it has a, a negative outcome or a, a, an unwanted outcome, and we don't regret it. And so we don't review or replay or reflect, and we just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And we don't want that, at least I don't. And so it's, it's powerful to have that feeling of regret that really is an opportunity to think like when you, next time you watch um, a game, any, any game, volleyball, basketball, baseball, notice it's, it's exactly what they do. You know, they, as soon as they get off the field, as soon as a player comes off the field, they're talking to the coaches, they're reviewing, they're replaying what happened. And then, you know, a few days later, they, they're back in the, um, they're back in the office back with the team and they and they get some time to reflect and think about what they want to do in the future so that um they don't have the 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 intensity of the regret isn't like it was for the same action right and once again i also want to remind you that just because we do these things it doesn't absolve us or protect us from you know the feeling of regret ever or from making the same mistake it's just that hopefully over time we see some improvements. And then that's what gives us hope. That's what drives our passion. That's what drives our connection. And, um, and, and you know, it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. So the, the, that regret, if there are things that you regret, write those down. Take note, take stock, and then see how you can review, replay, and reflect. And, and remember, it's not about you going through this whole thing yourself. It's about making sure that you invite, recruit uh, other people into your process so that you can grow over time. And it's something I do, you know, when I do comedy shows. After the comedy show, I immediately, you know, review the jokes that I wanted to work on, and I replay it in my head. Did people laugh? Did people not laugh? And then um, I, I think about how I can make it better. And then I also ask other comics they go hey i got this joke it, it works sometimes doesn't work all the time and you know you know what do you think the the challenge is and then they give me feedback on it but what i'm not doing is saying hey can you give me a funny joke right i'm not going in cold and so you know it goes back to this idea of um you know when you are recruiting people into helping you with reviewing, replaying, and reflecting that you're bringing them something that you have shown that you've been working on versus bringing something uh, cold to them. And then last thing I want to talk about, so now we come to Adam Grant. Adam Grant um, also has his book about called uh, Rethink, um, and and he, has, he talks about happiness, rethinking happiness. Adam Grant is a great writer I love. A lot of his books, same with uh, Daniel H. Pink. And in his book, uh, Rethink, he talks about how if we overvalue happiness, it can lead to depression. And when he said that, I was like, what? And, and I, it made me realize that, you know, I grew up on Will Smith movies, right? Uh, Pursuit of Happiness and just his energy. But also I think we live in a, uh, you know, I live in San Diego. And it is kind of a culture uh, lately, and I'd say it's, it's changing now, where there's such an emphasis on happiness. When I was a kid, I don't remember that. 
there weren't these buzzwords as a kid of like mindfulness, happiness, joy. It was just, you know, go to work, go to school, you know, come home. Like there, there were no feel good words or feel good uh, movements. Everything was just about rise and grind, right? And I think that now because the quality of life or uh, a number of people has increased. Now we're, we're, there, there was a big talk about happiness and what makes you happy and finding your joy and, and finding your bliss and all that. Um, but what we're finding and what Adam, at least what Adam Grant's talking about is that when we're overvaluing happiness, it can lead to depression because then we find ourselves um, focusing more on things, external things, food, drugs, sex, alcohol, uh, material things, right, than on what we are experiencing. That, that's what we need to value more is experiencing life, experiencing our emotions. And the reason why this is valuable is because if we're unwilling to experience our emotional state, then we're going to reach for food, drugs, sex, alcohol, to medicate it, to numb it, to suppress it and all those things. So we need to focus more on experiencing our lives instead of evaluating our lives. And that evaluation comes from asking why too much. You know, why did they do this? Why did they do that? Instead of just saying, you know, if we come from an experiential point of view, uh, and, and then we could say, I feel upset. I feel bothered. You know, and and that's much more empowering. That allows us to take ownership because I could say, "You you pissed me off. You bothered me. You're annoying." That that's giving somebody else the power. But when I say I feel annoyed, oh, okay. What does my annoyance feel like? My stomach feels a little tight. My shoulders are up around the ears. My breathing is shallow. Now, ooh, now I'm experiencing the annoyance instead of trying to evaluate it and trying to figure out why I feel annoyed, and then see how you want to move from there. So instead of valuing happiness and external things, like this house is going to make me happy. If I just move there, it's going to make me happy. If I go on this trip or if I get into this college, it'll make me happy. It's like, okay, if if you are waiting for happiness, that means that you are in this moment not experiencing what you're feeling right now. Because you're, you're telling the universe that currently you're not happy. So when you find yourself in, in seeking or hoping or wishing for future happiness, that's a time for you to take a moment and experience what you're feeling right now. Because if we, we can keep putting our, our, our happiness in the future, and, and so that means we're never going to arrive. It's always tomorrow, a week from now, a year from now, when, with, when this, when that. So we never arrive, and so it just keeps us on a treadmill, and that's depressing. So what we want to do also is, according to Adam Grant, is emphasize purpose over pleasure, meaning over joy, right? Because meaning lasts. Joy wanes. 
when we have meaning in our life, that lasts. Like if 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 your meaning in life is to make the world better, that's forever, because the world always is is gonna need you know uh, some help and and improvements and making it better. Just just like a house. Like we just got this house. In this house, once you buy a house, anybody who has a house, you know that you're gonna forever be working on the house, raking up leaves, cleaning out the gutter, cleaning the windows, cleaning out the chimney, repairing the sink, unclogging the drains, like, you know, repainting, retiling. There's always something. It's a living, breathing thing that constantly needs attention. And so when we assign our life to meaning, uh, instead of pleasure, pleasure can come and go, right? Like the first bite of carrot cake is pleasurable, but not the 10th bite. After that, it, it just, be, you don't even, you're not even tasting a cake anymore. You're Now you're just trying to get back that first bite, which is never going to come. We're, we're way past pleasure, right? You know, watching a, a sitcom for a half hour is pleasurable, but not eight hours, not, you know, to, to watch it from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Now, you know, we're just kind of in and out of state of, of consciousness. So we want to seek and emphasize purpose over pleasure, meaning over joy, right? And, and this is not to say that we don't want to seek out happiness. But here's the way to do it. Instead of seeking out happiness in terms of some individualistic endeavor, meaning, oh, I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm gonna go eat by myself in a car. Like that doesn't. It, it it might bring you like a momentary pleasure, but but real pleasure, real joy, real happiness is when we get to eat with others. It's it's finding ways of doing things with other people. That's what brings us happiness, whether it's going to the movies with some friends or even enemies, uh, going to dinner, cooking for other people, um, volunteering. <coughs> Excuse me, my voice got weird. Uh, it's about how do we, even if it means, you know, doing a Zoom watch where you want to watch a movie and you set up a Zoom thing where you can watch the show at the same time with somebody, with a, another family or friend or whatever. But finding ways to find happiness um, through social connection and social engagement, that those effects last longer, right? And once again, nothing lasts forever, but it definitely will bring you much more lasting happiness than buying a new pair of shoes or, um, you know, going on, going to the movies, uh, you know, for an hour and a half, uh, you know, because I've done that and it, and it's cool, it's all right, but it, I've definitely have always had more fun when I go with uh, some other people, all right, and and sometimes you know, and and because if we overemphasize happiness, it can lead us to uh, overvaluing other things. Like people who want to try to get into the best school, they want to go to Harvard or Yale, when instead of looking at 
what is the best school, right? Because you think that's going to make you happy. Look at which school has the best culture fit for you. You know, I have a friend, uh, their kid is going to Oregon and she was looking at these different schools and, and, and as soon as she said Oregon, I was like, that's exactly where she's going to go because I know her and I know the culture of that school and I know the culture of the community that it's in and it's a perfect fit and it's exactly what school she went to. I'm not saying this to be like, oh, I'm some fortune teller, but my point is, is instead of looking at, oh, what are the top five schools or what are the top three programs? Find the culture that you believe you'll fit into. And the same thing with work. It's not about going to the best um, firm or the, the top company. It's about recognizing the culture of that place and saying, is this a place where I can thrive and feel connected? Because if you end up at, a, at the number one company, but it's a culture that you feel isolated and, and castrated and ostracized, then you're not going to thrive and you're going to quit or burn out or, you know, get in a, you know, uh, some self-sabotaging habits. So find the culture. Once again, it, this is all coming back to people. It, our happiness, it, it just, it, it, it is not maximized in isolation, right? It, it's, it's, it's maximized in, in connection with other people. And and the other thing is happy because a lot of times we think, oh well, if I if I move here, I'll be happy. If I if I go on vacation there, and Adam Grant says that happiness is found when we change actions, not location. Right? It's not about the location; it's about the action. Now, I, I understand some of you are in nefarious uh, locations, and you would definitely be happier. Um, in a in a safer, more secure location, but what we're all what we're also saying is that there's a way to cultivate happiness where you are. I mean, I read that book Unbroken. And I always refer back to it because it's such a great reminder of this guy who was a prisoner of war for years, captured uh, uh, by the Japanese, and the thing that that brought him happiness was you know noticing a chicken. He was like, man, all this war, all the death, all the brutality, and this chicken is just plucking away, just pluck, 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 pluck. And I always remember that. I'm, I'm like, no matter what's going on around me, there is a, a bird that's still soaring. There are fish that are swimming. There's a breeze coming through. There are, are leaves that are rustling. Like life is still happening and 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 so I can I can discover that anywhere in the world even if it's even if I'm in you know there's a little beetle in a corner like whatever it is that there's something that um, I, I can find but there's also like he said something that we can do that gives us a little bit of happiness it's it's in our actions right it's like do by joining a club or starting a new project or changing our habits, you know, that habit changing. And then it's hard, right? Maybe you find it yourself that you'd be happier if you went to bed an hour earlier, or if you woke up, um, uh, earlier, or if you, you know, ate breakfast, um, uh, 
you know, instead of skipping it, or if you worked out before you went into work, instead of going to the gym after you worked, like what actions is, what actions or habits um, uh, can you change that would allow you to engage more in your surroundings? When we try to detach and dissociate, you know, I'm just going to watch TV all day. It sounds good, but it doesn't really lead to or foster any happiness. Because then, you know, think about if if somebody were to ask you what you did at the end of your day, and all you have to say is, I watch TV all day. Um, that doesn't give you much to talk about. But if but if you have some things that you say, I journaled, oh yeah, I journaled this morning, I really, you know, uh, come to realize, blah, 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 and then I exercise, and my, well, my sciatica's acting up, but I also did three more push-ups today, and I did five more pull-ups uh, and then I'm reading this book that's, you know, really blah, blah, blah. And it was talking about this. What do you think about that? And then I meditated. And it was so strange because usually I can't drop into my meditation. But today I got really deep. I felt like an astronaut. Like you have all these things that now you can discuss because uh, it's in your body. It's action that you took. And then the person who's listening is more engaged uh, uh, and of what you're talking about, because now we're not just talking about some fake characters on a screen. We're talking about you and what you're going through. And, and that story is always going to be more powerful. Right. Um, and, and also when we talk about happiness, it, it depends more on what we do. Like we said, than who we are, it's our actions that bring us meaning and belonging. Uh, think about more, think more about, how you spend your time, right, instead of where you are. So this is the beauty, you know, we talk about journaling all the time, and journaling is another word for action log or taking a daily account. And that's really a way for you to discover, you know, what are you spending a lot of your time doing? You know, are there are there gaps? And then, you know, slowly figuring out how you can maximize your time more. And when I say maximize, your time. I'm not talking about finding ways to keep you on a treadmill. Not at all. When I, what I'm talking about is you may discover that you need a bit more time throughout your day to recover, to rest, to go for a walk, to uh, uh, meditate, to maybe even call and just talk to somebody or to do some mindless work, work on a puzzle or do a Sudoku or, you know, one of the things I was a little stressed yesterday and I was like, ah, I don't know what I really need right now. Like, I feel like I need to change my state and I just couldn't figure out what I needed. And I was like, Oh, you know what? Uh, I'm reading this book and I circled a bunch of words that I don't know, a bunch of vocabulary words in the book. And, uh, and I need to upload those definitions. So what I like to do when I read a book is I like to circle the words that I don't know and then later on uh, type them up into my uh, uh, app I use called Evernote and I put the vocabulary words in there. And then whatever passages I find in a book that are interesting, I'll type those up and put those uh, in an Evernote also. So I have a bunch of Evernotes on these different books that I've read with passages from the book, questions that I have or like thoughts and ideas 
and then the vocabulary. And then, you know, if I, so if I want to take it a step further, I will make, uh, I'll take index cards and then write the definitions on the index cards and then come up with sentences and just walk around and kind of play with the words like that. And for me, that's fun. It's engaging. Um, it's mindful instead of being mindless. And it, it's, a, it's a way for my brain to kind of detach from the work that really requires me to be engaged and thinking and on my toes. So I need that ebb and flow between something that really requires my 100% of my intention, attention and then something that is more about intention, right? So I need to, to wane, uh, wax and wane between attention or engagement and then come to something that's more about intention, which is about just kind of a healthy distraction from uh, the, the main source of my work, right? And when we talk about happiness also, it's, it's really important because we talk so much about engagement that we can spend time building our own micro-community. That's right. Build your own micro community, your own little tribe, and and this, and I want to I want to say this takes could take days, it could take years, it could take decades for you to build this micro community, or you might even discover a micro community, right? But you can certainly do it with social media or flyers, or uh, you know, people in your building having a potluck once a week or once a month. There's so many ways for us to build a micro community um, that really would feel empowering. Um, we went out to dinner with some friends the other night, and and I brought up pickleball because I talked about how much I love watching pickleball, and I played it a couple times. And then they were like, oh, my God, we love it too. And so now we got a, a pickleball double date coming up. And so now, you know, and I'm sure that, when we go play pickleball, we'll meet other pickleball players, and then we'll slowly expand that uh, that micro pickleball community. So it's about having the vulnerability to really share what you're passionate about and what you enjoy. It, you know, whether it's stamps or pickleball or you know comics or movies, whatever it is, find your micro community. And then also look for ways to contribute and connect and, and, and look for jobs that allow you to learn and contribute, right? So to peel that back a little bit, a lot of times when we think about community, we think about, you know, playing sports with other people or, uh, you know, going out to lunch once a week or dinner once. And for some of us, that just might not be up our alley. But for sure, if, if those don't work, then to find ways to commun- uh, contribute to your community, to the country, or whatever, in whatever way that is, whether it's picking up the trash around the neighborhood, whether it's volunteering, whether it's taking a part-time job, right, at the local such and such, or, you know, maybe become an Uber driver as a way to uh, uh, connect with people. But it's so imperative that we become an active architect. And I love this because Adam Grant uses this word active architect in that maybe you have a job and you don't really like the job, right? Maybe the job is all right. 
But there are ways that you can be an active architect, meaning that you can add responsibilities or a role that go above and beyond, whether it's, you know, I know a lot of jobs put out like a weekly newsletter, right, or a monthly newsletter. Maybe you can be involved in writing and contributing to that newsletter. Maybe you can be the person who gets everybody's birthdays and holidays and celebrations, and you make note of those things in those newsletters, right? Become an active architect at work, whether that means you're the one bringing in snacks on on Friday or you celebrate. So I have a friend on Facebook, and he did 365 days of gratitude. And every day on his Facebook post, he would post uh, an extensive uh, um, uh, uh, post about one person he was grateful for. And he did this every day for 365 days. And so that was his way of contributing. And that was his way of thinking about other people. So become an active architect in your life, right? Um, Because a lot of times we think we hate our job, but maybe we just hate our role at the job. Maybe, Maybe we can do more, need to do something different, something we need to contribute in some other kind of way if leaving our job or leaving our work um, really isn't tenable at the moment. And then last thing I want to leave you with is, is notice the opportunities around you, right? We, we notice the oppression. We, we notice the obstacles. But let's also notice the opportunities that we have at hand. But, but the big takeaway from this Adam Grant and Rethinking Happiness is It really is about finding happiness with others, whether that's working out with other people, uh, um, eating with other people, socializing, working, volunteering, uh, delegating. Maybe that could mean hiring people. You know, maybe that's a way for you to get your community is to hire people. So happiness is maximized when we are with others like it's the salt on food. It brings out all the flavors. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling the 988 number or any of the other suicide prevention hotline numbers that are listed in each and every single one of the show notes. Um, And you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together.